can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real hello one and all chance here on a new be real and i got a director interview for you today i'm talking to greek filmmaker christos niku he has a new grounded let's call it sci-fi drama called apples uh, that's out now in New York and LA in theaters and rolling through, rolling out through major cities across the country uh, through July. I know it comes to my neck of the woods in Portland about July 31st. Uh, executive produced by Kate Blanchett. Um, Apples depicts a world in the grips of an amnesia epidemic. People are losing their minds left and right so rampantly that there's a government agency uh, dubbed the Disturbed Memory Department. And they briefly admit people like Ares, who's played here by Ares Servitalis. He wakes up one day on a bus with no ID, no inkling of who he was before the bus driver shook him awake. And as part of the prescribed treatment regimen from the Disturbed Memory Department, Ares is assigned a series of tasks to reacclimate himself to humanity. The tasks range from the basic to the courageous like riding a bike, going dancing, attending a costume party, comforting a stranger in a hospital. And Ari definitely plays the character with a blankness, but you can tell he's holding some kindling inside. There's some version of himself amid the memory wiping that might be fighting to come back out or might be um, sort of incidentally revealing itself, um, which happens in a, in a great dance scene that Christos and I discuss coming up. And all the while, this character is just housing apples, which the movie posits are beneficial to memory. Um, if that premise sounds Charlie Kaufman-esque, or let's say Yorgos Lanthimosian, Niku comes by those influences very honestly. He, he idolizes Kaufman and has worked with Lanthimos uh, on Dogtooth. Um, so we talk about his movie-watching regimen, why he keeps revisiting the Truman Show compulsively, um, and, and what appeals to him about these high-concept universes with sort of one major aspect of resocial calibration, in this case, uh, a memory-regaining system. I'll tell you real quick that uh, Be Real is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, where you can find such shows as Bingeworthy, Yellowstoners, Playlist Podcast, Deep Focus, Fourth Wall, Discourse, lots of great stuff. And you can find that feed on any podcatcher where you may be listening. Um, if you like this episode or uh, are a regular listener, we would love it if you would pop in and give us a quick kind rating. That's always appreciated. Helps more people find these shows. Leads to more cool interview opportunities. So I'll tell you before we duck to the conversation... Apples is perhaps not the most vibrant, inviting movie you've ever seen. Most slightly dystopian films are not. But I think it's definitely worth checking out for a sort of subversively humanistic take on one of these societies that's governed by like an esoteric law. Because um, once you spot Ares's free will in there, among all the assignments and the codes and the blank stares, it's hard to stop thinking about. This is... Definitely a movie that has grown on me in the many days since I watched it. Um, 
And here's hoping the same could be true of uh, Fingernails, which is Niku's uh, forthcoming film. He's going to make it this fall with Jesse Buckley and Reza Ahmed. Uh, he wrote that one again with his longtime friend and now co-screenwriter Stavros Raptis. And Fingernails similarly focuses uh, on, on a test, a scientific test that's been invented to gauge whether a couple is truly in love. So Christos, he likes these kind of stories, and we're about to talk about why. So here's Christos Niku in conversation about his new film, Apples. Thanks for listening. Βάσει των αρχικών εξετάσεων σας είναι ότι πάσχετε από αμνησία. Μπορείς να κάνεις κάτι διαφορετικό. Δηλαδή? Να κάνεις μια νέα αρχή. Λάθος επόμενο. Παιδιά, ξέρει κανείς ποιος είναι ο Μπάτμαν. Where did you first hear that perhaps apples could be good for someone's memory? How did that make it into the movie? Is that an urban legend? Is that common knowledge? I had never heard that before. Um, actually, I don't know. Is it a complete <laughs> invention? No, 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 no. It's not a complete invention. Uh, to be honest, uh, one of the reasons why we we call uh, apples that thing is because uh, I wrote it from my father uh, when I was dealing with his loss, mm. uh, and uh, my father used to eat a lot of apples. He was eating seven to eight apples per day, and he had a very very strong memory. Then I started checking the connection between apples and memory. And I found in a few websites that apples can improve your memory. And I decided to use it uh, without being sure that it's like 100% <laughs> certain that if you will, if you will with an apple, you will have a better memory. I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest. Right. You're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, and I think that it's good that I'm not a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Film, filmmaking suits you just fine. Um, so <laughs> l- let me let me go back to that thing because I I know that the the origin of this movie is six or seven years old um, after the loss of your father, and and I've heard you say in many interviews, Christos, that you were you were thinking a lot at the time about why people tend to forget so easily, and and I wondered. Did you see people around you like moving on more quickly than you were comfortable with, or did you find yourself worrying about losing precious memories? Um, I, I cannot say that members of my family, for example, uh, moved faster because we all had our way of how to approach a loss and how to deal with a loss. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for sure, I was. It was more my my personal thoughts on how we can move on and uh, not forget a loss, but deal with a loss actually, and how uh, how easily in general people, as you said, tend to forget. I feel that I feel that it was a time also that I was seeing a lot of my uh, friends, a lot of people around me that they were forgetting even something that I was telling them a week ago. And uh, I was feeling that in general, as a society, 
you can see also in in terms of I don't know even even if you will go in politics for example uh, you can see about how Trump uh, was doing so many mistakes even one month before the elections and then at the end he was about to maybe to to be voted again Mm -hmm. uh, so you can feel uh, that in general people uh, tend to forget, I think, tend to forget even the, their own things sometimes. Mm -hmm. I wondered when you were in making this kind of film, um, uh, a high concept dystopian film in a, in a universe with very specific rules. Um, I was thinking about often like the, the lead performer in those kinds of stories, we're used to seeing them play very tight and very robotic. Um, so I wonder what kind of conversations did you have with Aris, your 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 star, um, about how to how to play that character? Because most of the times in dystopian stories, actually, I think that the main characters are trying to understand the world around, and maybe that's why uh, they are more questioning things than showing their feelings mm -hmm. um so with aris uh, uh we we discussed about more about two actors uh that they brought a lot of physicality in their performances and they performed a lot with their body language uh, as i wanted that i wanted to create a character that uh plays in a more minimal way and perform with uh, his body more and show emotions also in that way. So I asked him to watch uh, some movies of Zach Tati um, mm -hmm. and uh, two movies of with Jim Carrey, uh, uh, The Truman Show and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and oh, wow, somehow cool. combine these two totally different approaches in one. Um, and it's funny because at the end, I, I know that in a lot of people, uh, uh, he remind them a little bit of Buster Keaton. So I think mm -hmm. that if you will put in a blender Zach Tati and Jim Carrey, the result is Buster Keaton. <laughs> but yes. That's a lot of physicality in those people you've described. Of course. Um, well, I, there are specific scenes too where that really comes out that I, I, I want to, I have questions about them, but I wanted to get to a broader idea. So one of the setups um, in this movie is that the, the memory disturbance department is having its patients, of course, record kind of increasingly bold tasks with the idea that they'll take a Polaroid of themselves in public and they'll, that'll help them get their memory back somehow. Um, when you were writing the script with Stavros, how did you, how did you guys think about what the task should be or, or what patterns would develop in the assigned tasks? Um, we were trying to think of, of common memories of an average person at the beginning. Uh, I mean, sometimes very simple things, like for example, that in the first one that he has to go and find a bike and ride a bike. Yeah. And he has to learn a bike. Because there is also that phrase in Greek that when you uh, learn how to ride a bike, you will never forget. Mm -hmm. Um so we wanted to start with that and it it also it is a, a ref to the childhood uh, and we wanted gradually to go to the last one that is about um something that is related with death 
Right. Uh, and in general, the idea behind from all these were that there were uh, tasks that will create a different emotion to the main character. Uh, so every task, uh, not to the main character only, but to, the, to all the amnesiacs. I mean, that's how we thought about uh, these tasks. And, um, and then, as I said, we wanted to find things that maybe can be funny, Mm-hmm. Uh, who were also thinking for for more things that it was impossible to do because of the of the budget sometimes. Uh, sure. uh, so we were always trying to to find ways that things that we can shoot that they are cinematic, they can be funny, but also uh, meaningful. Um, and that was the way how we decided about them. Do you remember any tasks that you guys had to cut because you knew it was too big or too outlandish to film? I I wanted to do something with parachute that they that the doctor describes to him that yeah, it's what he will do yes the one with the parachute I wanted to do something like that uh, which was a ref to one of my favorite scenes ever in Move Sang by uh, Leos Carax uh-huh. uh, but uh, yes we, we we never did that I mean sure. it was impossible to do it <laughs> well it's it's interesting I like the way you're if if you if you look at the tasks as designed by, by the memory department or whatever, it doesn't necessarily seem like the tasks are cynical and maybe the opposite. It seems like from their point of view, there might be some kind of genuine way in which they are trying to get people to, to be bold or um, uh, kind of reinstitute their humanity through. Um, I mean, the tasks are maybe a little outlandish, but do, were you thinking about from their perspective? Is there like an earnestness in, in, as part of this, like this this medical plan that they have? I think so. In in general, to be honest, in whatever I have written until now, and I hope that I will continue writing. I I never wrote uh, a part uh, at all that is an antagonist or some somebody that is uh, that has something evil in mm-hmm. i think that the doctors accidentally uh they are making some mistakes uh but it's not uh in purpose i mean uh they are trying to do it in a good way and they're trying to find a way to to help this uh these people these amnesiacs to to create new memories and to start their life from the scratch um and that's why i think that it has also something tender in this tender and funny at the same time for me i mean in in these assignments that they're they're giving them okay so speaking of tender and funny let's talk about the scene where aris um has to ride a six-year-old's bicycle um which is far too small um tell me about what that scene was like to shoot please it was really funny i mean first of all when we shot it and uh, we wanted, even I mean, from the script, we wanted to create and find ways that this character somehow uh, doesn't belong to the world or to the life that they are trying to build for him. Um, that's why uh, the trousers that he is wearing are a little bit shorter. That's why the bicycle is much smaller uh, than a normal one for him. Uh, even when he he's wearing uh, a costume to go to the uh, costume party, he 
he selects the one with the astronaut costume that somehow is coming a little bit from another world. Mm. And uh, that was the idea behind that. that uh, and, and then um, in that scene, actually, uh, we wanted this to, to, to show how somebody can actually start from the first task to learn uh, life from the scratch, because it is something that it is referred to, uh, to a child. A later scene I wanted to talk about in the club where Ares is dancing by himself doing the twist. I think that scene plays much differently after you've seen the whole rest of the movie in terms of why he's dancing and who he's dancing for in that moment. Um, I wonder what, do you remember any direction that you, that you gave to Ari's about how to act that scene? Um, yes, for sure. Uh, first of all, it's a scene that, um, if I can give you a hint, uh, about it, uh, it's also, it was very different on the first draft, uh, of, uh, the script, uh, we had, uh, another, another song that we wanted to use. Uh, it was with, uh, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. Oh, sure. And he had to dance the moonwalk, uh, dance routine of, uh, that Michael Jackson was doing. Uh, but, uh, Later, we realized that, uh, and it was for good reasons, because also right now, I mean, after also the documentary about Michael Jackson, things are a little bit different, and also uh, about Amici's music. And uh, also, uh, the rights for this song, this song costs more than the whole budget of the whole film. Yeah. <laughs> so we realized that we have to find another song. And uh, I'm happy that we were looking for finding a song that has a very specific routine uh, that somehow he remembers and he knows how to dance. Yeah. And uh, the direction that I, I gave, because I know that Aris uh, is a dancer and I sent him a video. I mean, he's also he was working as a dancer in the past in theater. And I sent him a video with... Um, uh, with Chubby Taker and other people that they are dancing in the music video of, of this song of Let's Twist Again. Uh, and then what I told him is that it's the only moment that actually and really this character uh, is somehow forgetting everything. Mm. And it's mm -hmm. his moment. Uh, mm. And uh, it's his moment with the past, but without caring about all the other people that are there inside, that he's like dancing alone. And uh, yes, from the first take, we realized that uh, this probably would be the strongest scene of the film. <laughs> and uh, it was it was made very well by Aris. That's, that's great. It's a good one. Um, Christos, you filmed in Athens for this, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and that's your home city? Uh, yes. I it's was a, uh, born and grew up here. Um, how did you go about kind of draining the color out of your city? Is, is that something that, that is mostly done in post? Or did you specifically kind of pick locations that um, would maybe hide the vibrance of Athens? In general, uh, 
whoever has been in Athens and they have seen the film, they cannot find enough connection. I mean, they're trying mm-hmm. to understand if it is Athens, if it right. looks like Athens. Uh, because the initial idea was to create a city that doesn't exist in reality. I mean, it is somewhere in this world. It's a nameless city. Uh, so, and believe me, Athens is a very, very distinctive city. I mean, it's very difficult to find uh, generic locations that uh, they look like uh, anywhere. So uh, that was the tricky thing, how we can find locations and how we can create a city that doesn't exist in reality. So, and, um, but with a lot of research and because as you asked me, it, it is my city. I was born here, I grew up here, I was working here for 10 years in the film industry as an assistant director. So I was looking also in the past for a location. So somehow I, I found all these locations in order to, to create this world. Um, and then about the color palette and everything that we try to give is to actually, as I said, to create something that looks more European and more, um, um, it, it is colorful in a way, but at the same time, it's a little bit more, uh, it has a little bit something more melancholic in, more sad. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's a little bit more gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not actually a sunny city as uh, most of the times you can feel about Athens. Right. Um, you mentioned uh, some of the assistant directing that you had done um, before Apples. I, I know you worked um, as a second AD with Yorgos Lanthimos on, on Dogtooth. And, I, and I've heard you say that one of the, the things that really impressed you about that experience um, was just Yorgos's work ethic, that he was just 24-7 all about the project. And I'm curious, um, for you as a, as a young person in, in film production at the time, um, where did you see Yorgos going the extra mile and 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 did you take anything away where you're like i need to make sure that when i make a feature film i am that involved as well i remember to be honest that the first time that i met yorgos uh was uh after reading the script and i remember that i told him that you will win an award in Cannes with the script i mean it's 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 so good that it's impossible that uh, this movie will not be somewhere really, really will. And uh, you, you could feel that uh, he will follow that career. I mean, you could feel it from from his attitude, from his behavior, and from his creativity. That uh, he's uh, a master. I mean, for for cinema uh, and. Uh, to be honest, because I I am also a twenty four seven person, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm also I'm also trying to continue watching a lot of films per day. I'm trying to uh, in the past I was watching three movies per day. Right now I'm trying to watch at least one or two. I don't know. For me, always my school, and I will never start. I, I will never. I mean, stop learning. It is uh, uh, by watching films and by uh, by somehow love more and more and more um, the art that we're doing, uh, that it's called cinema. So is that, is that your regimen? When you're not working, you, you do about three a day, and when you are, it's, it's more like one or two? 
I, I mean, to be honest, the last few years, I cannot watch three per day. I mean, sometimes maybe, but <laughs> uh, it's not so, it's not so easy. And also, to be honest, the, the thing that I love doing is because I'm not finding always very good new material is that I'm, I'm rewatching movies from the past many. There are movies that I have seen maybe more than 50 times or sure. even more. So there are movies, I mean, that I'm watching them every three or four months. Okay. What's your, what falls in that category for you? These like every three month movies, what's, what's top of that list? Um, for sure, the Truman Show is a movie that I I have seen. Uh, yes, I, I don't know how many times. Yeah. Um, I love also, I don't know. It's funny which movies we can watch many times and which movies we can watch only once, appreciate them, but not watch them again. Right. For example, you cannot watch Tarkovsky every three months. Uh, <laughs> that would be a, that'd be a little difficult, yes. Yes. Uh, or you cannot watch, I don't know if you know the movie of Sadal Lackerman, Sam Dielman. Uh, no. I can't say it's, that I do. Uh, it's a movie that, uh, even Orson Welles, I mean, you can see it once in your life and that's it. You mm -hmm. appreciate it and then you believe that. Maybe a second time. Uh, but really, there are movies like that are a little bit more entertaining, I think, and a little bit more warm. And a little bit like also Beginners is a movie that I have seen many, many times by Mike Mills. Yeah, that's a great one. I love in general the work of Mike Mills. Mm -hmm. And um, yes. Bef <laughs> Before I let you go here, Christos, I want to ask about um, Fingernails, the new movie that uh, you're making with Jesse Buckley and Riz Ahmed. Um, is that is that wrapped? Where are you at in production with that right now? <laughs> No, no, no. We are in the pre-production. We pre are shooting uh, in November. Okay, shooting in November. Um, and just reading the synopsis, it, it kind of sounded like another sort of high-concept universe. I know you, Stavros, again, uh, co-wrote the script with you. Um, but it's not like there's another one where there's like a system uh, to, to explore a societal issue in sort of a maybe dystopian way. Uh, and you just mentioned that you watched... Uh, um, you're watching the Truman Show every three months. <laughs> so, what is it about these premises um, that appeals to you? The, these societies with like lots of um, uh, high concept rules. Um, the Truman Show is the movie that made me to want to be a filmmaker when I watched it for the first time when I was 14. And in general, I love also the Charlie Kaufman stories. I love all these stories that are a little bit more. I, I can call them more allegorical than, for example, dystopia. Uh, and a little bit, to be honest, also, uh, even in Apple, we try to create something that looks very grounded. Uh, there is only one condition that it is different from the actual world. And then we are trying to play with that uh, in a symbolic or allegorical way and to, to change a little bit the rules of fire society and somehow make comments about our society uh, because I always love when you are taking uh, a, a topic that is a little bit like more the big picture like for example memory or right now that we are dealing with love mm -hmm. and uh, in fingernails I mean and and somehow try to examine it to to understand it to ask questions about it 
maybe sometimes not to give exactly answers, but may, mostly to to try to make also the audience question themselves uh, about these things and how they deal with these things and about how. Um, and I, I don't know. I also find it. Uh, I, I think, for example, that these scripts are much, much more difficult to be written or created than, for example, I know that maybe what I will say will sound a bit stupid for some people, but I think that the script of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is one million times more difficult to write it than Citizen Kane or many other scripts that are admired by everybody in this world. And uh, uh, but they are a little bit more simple for me and more also um, not so much creative as uh, the scripts of Veterans and Sign and other movies. You mean the, the degree of difficulty is higher in a Kaufman script because he is trying to reflect human life at the same time as inventing this whole different kind of lens through which to look at it? Yes, and it, it is much more difficult to create something that at the same time it's not only that he's creating that, but also it works. Because most of the dystopian stories uh, are so futuristic or are so that the audience is always detached from it. They cannot connect. But when you are making something that the audience can completely connect, it means that you are doing a very good job on the script. I think so. I don't know. Mm. Um, well, Christos, I, I think that's my time. I don't want to run over for Lydia and folks, um, but congrats on the film and thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sam. Oh!